Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coghill, Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing paying to pray. Nick, this means nothing to me. What, what are we talking about? Well, loyal listener Chris has written to us to ask uh, our opinions about an interesting paper that was uh, published recently by Thernstrom and Noy in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, uh, which looked at willingness to pay for prayers. Um, so in other words, if, if prayers are being offered for, for you, would you be willing to part with cash in order to receive those prayers or not? And it turned out, and perhaps this isn't terribly surprising, but uh, Christians would be willing to pay to have someone pray for them. Okay. Right? Whether or not that goes against any kind of Christian doctrine, I don't know. The Council of Trent. Uh, right, because I thought we'd abolished this several hundred years ago, but yeah. no. Um, perhaps more surprising is that atheists uh, are on average willing to pay for someone not to pray for them. Mm. Anyway, we could talk about that if you like. It's of moderate interest, I think. Not terribly exciting. But I, I um, when I in co- co- correspondence with him, I said, well, this is interesting because that suggests that you know, prayer harms atheists. Yeah. So if you're out there, that thing that I don't believe in can harm me. That you're being harmed by it because you would be willing to pay to remove it. And that's to me, just a very natural economic definition of harm. Uh, If you would be willing to part with resources to prevent something happening, that thing is harming you one way or the other. Um, And uh, this was the more interesting question to me, because of course his response was completely reasonably. Don't be silly. How is that harming someone? praying for them regardless of whether they'd be willing to pay to rem- to stop someone doing it it how it, in what sense at all is that harm but that did make me think given that the economic uh definition is really neat and coherent and i mean in the economic definition really we don't uh of harm know, if, yeah well yeah of, of harm being essentially something which gives you negative utility hmm. even bodily harm is not significant like physical harm that's only a means to the end of giving you you know ac- the actual harm which is a thing you don't like you know bodily harm wouldn't matter if we weren't bothered by it we don't mind losing our fingernails or getting our hair cut or getting our ears pierced or uh, injected right. with right so 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 the point is that bodily harm uh, in the economic sense is really only a means to the end of of the kind of utility harm um but obviously that's you know we need to make laws and stuff about harm it's a very important concept in the history of political thought what is it can we can we do better yeah. than just something well, you'd be willing to pay well, to stop? I, 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 I mean, I think it's quite interesting to look at this uh, theologically as as well. Okay. Uh, and you know the fact that first of all there there is precedence for for people historically as as I alluded to previously of of you know paying for indulgences in yeah. in in the you know the Catholic tradition, uh, and that that was abolished in the 16th century at the at the council of trent Mm -hmm. by and large and uh, you know a a sort of response to that uh you know to the the perceived wrongness of that was the the you know the whole reformation uh movement and and the birth of protestantism um but there was you know a monastic economy where uh, certainly in the early middle ages where people paid other people 
uh, to conduct prayer for them in order to, as they saw it, uh, remove harm to them because what they were concerned about was the duration they would have to spend in purgatory in order to make up for their earthly sins. And they felt by paying for this prayer, they were actually reducing spiritual harm, right? So, um, you know, it, it, that it's consistent with that theological narrative. Um, but then you have the, the reverse, you know, coming back to the, to the atheists, you have, um, you have this, this sort of notion of um, religion and uh, sort of imposing religion on somebody, potentially by praying for them, as causing spiritual harm. And you look at things like um, the, uh, the, the Spanish Inquisition and, and forced conversions. Yeah. And that being perceived at the time as preventing harm to those those individuals who were praying to the wrong religion because they were going to hell and we've saved them from hell. But now, in fact, the uh, the Canadian Anglican Church has recently apologised to um, uh, indigenous, you know, Canadian people, the Inuit and First Nations and so on, for the spiritual harm they caused by doing precisely that, by indoctrinating them in Christianity against... But hold up, what about First Nations Christians? Do they, how do they feel about right. it? Right, well, I don't know. They they probably weren't weren't asked about this. But, but they presumably have, would have to sign up yeah. to the fact that they were saved. I mean, if assuming that they see the Lord Jesus Quite. Christ as their saviour, they would they, have to sign yeah, up to that. Maybe they want an apology for the apology. But but the point is, this, this they notion... They get an apology from their elders for teaching them a load of lies back yeah, in the olden days, quite. before the Christians turned up. Quite, but this, um, <laughs> this idea of uh, spiritual harm, uh, which can be converted into, into economic cost, because, you know, the, the crusaders of, of old would have paid substantial amounts of money to, you know, um, bequeath a, 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 the building of a monastery or a cathedral or something like that. Um, in order now they were supposed to be charitable donations which then so happened to be converted into prayer it wasn't the buying of indulgences supposedly but it but it was the buying of indulgences um uh, so this this interaction between reducing spiritual harm and financial transaction is is much older than than our, our been going on a while yeah peter uh, well i'm i'm of the definitely of the um atheist camp who would pay christians not not to not to pray for me but I would. It's more. It's not so much as direct harm directly to me. I don't see there's any link there. More for me, it's more. Uh, they they could make better use of their time. So I'd pay them to do something else. Maybe I'd pay for them, pay for their charitable donations, so they, or they could go and do some work or something to, to 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 give something actually concrete and meaningful. Um, Such in as? my opinion, well, just 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 donating money, just doing some work. To earn some money that they then helping the away. homeless or helping the homeless something, yeah. or something like that, uh, not animal charities. No, that's a waste of time. Um, so is it, for me, it's much more of a sort of effective altruism-like approach. I suppose if I was Christian, I'd be a Methodist because it's more about my actions rather than my thoughts. Um, but yeah, to, to it just to me, that's the mechanism. It's like if you're praying, you're not doing something more useful. It's it's a, it's a frivolous activity. Yeah, but, but I think the point is that uh, Christians get value from praying as well. Like, presumably a Christian is in some way enjoys praying for people. And I mean enjoys in a very loose economic sense. Like, they, they would rather pray for someone, that uh, do some praying than not pray. So, I mean, you know, they are be benefiting. And, and you, I mean, 
there's a lot of things that people do uh, which aren't helping um, people, but you're not worked up about that. Like someone who's just sitting on their sofa not praying is doing the same amount of good as someone who is praying. So why pick on the person who's praying and, and get all worked up about them and not just the person who's doing nothing? Well... Because if, if, if your worldview is that there is an afterlife and uh, there is harm that can come to you in that afterlife, and in fact, you know, this life is the tip of the iceberg, really, then, um, you know, it, it, it very much makes sense for you to, to pray for yourself. And it's extremely altruistic to pray for, for other people other people i think that we've got a confusion about um what prayer actually is and what it's for but we can come on to that at the moment peter you come in uh, yeah so i think the payment really in my mind is would be to enable them to do something useful so yes i'm quite happy for people to doss around and do nothing contribute nothing but if you're willing to contribute and you're you're thinking about praying i'll i'll bung you a couple of quid to go and do something useful <laughs> like get on a bus and go somewhere and help someone Okay. Um, that that it just is it, yeah. To me, it's sort of it seems frivolous. You know, uh, when I'm p- feeling particularly anti-religious, it feels pretty selfish thing to do yeah. is pray because you are doing it for your own kind of satisfaction. And that's actually what I want to clarify. Well, um, but Nick? I mean, yeah. Sorry. Well, but so I was going to say. Well, the thing is that yeah, the main thing that I don't really understand is if surely if this thing that you're asking for was a good idea, God would do it anyway, wouldn't he? I mean, you've done theology, so you. Read us in on this. Why isn't that just... Yeah, what was the question? Sorry. Well, why? there's me telling God that he should do something, right? Yeah. Isn't that a bit like telling him his job? I mean, he's... Right. It, he would know... If it was the right the thing to be done, he would be doing of, it anyway. What the yeah, optimal yeah. allocation of divine resources is, and presumably I'm not going to be able to get, get that better than he is. So what's the theory there? What's the yeah, theory yeah, yeah, of yeah, prayer? Yeah. So I think uh, that's a good point, actually. And given that he's got a plan that's sort of um theologically determined uh what 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 good does praying actually do because there doesn't seem to be scope for a for a petition system if he's already got a plan right and that's almost getting into free will and that kind of thing as well it's not quite but it's sort of close to that um yeah i think there's a couple ways to look at it one is kind of the cop-out answer you often get which is well god moves in mysterious ways okay ours is not to reason why um but I think there's another thing, which is un- a-, a potential misunderstanding of what prayer actually means, um, which I think even Christians themselves don't always um, understand. So I've got a half-brother who is very religious, um, uh, is a Presbyterian, Scott, and uh, he I don't know why, we were talking about prayer. Um, and he was saying that, you know, the, the way that people talk about it often is actually how we're talking about it, is that you, it's essentially asking for something to be done for you or to done for others. And he was saying, he was saying that in his opinion, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is just, and to me, it sounded more akin to, uh, to meditation actually. And it's about sort of, um, it's more about, let's say there's something in your life that you don't like. It's more about, um, almost asking for the un- for yourself to be able to come to reconciliation with that and so it's seeking not, guidance so, yeah and so it's channeling it's, it's, god's will uh, yeah and it's less about i i, I appreciate there's a kind of a fine line there no, but I, I, I hear what you're saying but, but it's, it's not about kind of petitioning thing, kind of thing that modern day christians say it's yeah all, it's all about you know personal so you know, but I, real, yeah but yeah but, i expect I mean, just these look, are the I, answers that you would get I, from I someone more qualified to, than me uh, look at the actual evidence of what priests say when they sit in a pulpit and say let us pray for something mm. and it's you know praying to help victims of war and famine mm. it's praying to you know to keep people safe 
and mm. it's they are praying for they're asking for stuff to be done there's no doubt and you're about right you're, i mean yeah, yeah. You just look at what they say what not me madam chairman the the priests themselves mm-hmm. what do they say they ask for stuff when they lead prayers in a church and that's that i uh think and by the way i think you're right yeah right. yeah yeah um uh, but okay i want i do i think this i don't think we here uh, between us have the theological expertise perhaps yourself excluded to to really get much further on this and i do want to steer back to this question of harm specifically whether christians should be banned from praying for atheists um because it harms them now this the evidence is pretty clear allegedly in this paper that people don't like being prayed for is it now if someone is next door and they're playing their stereo at two in the morning, that is against the law. They're not allowed to do that. Mm. And, you know, there are certain other things that people can do which are not uh, physical harm at all, like harassment and, um, uh, and you know, certain types of hate speech and so on, which are do not impose physical harm and yet are illegal. Now, here's my question is, should it be illegal for Christians to pray uh uh, un, un, uh, you know, unbidden. Unbidden. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? It's like when you, uh, yeah, if you're the involuntary victim of a prayer, yeah. should, should you <laughs> should you be entitled to compensation? I mean, should it be illegal? Well, to look, do that? the first question now, is, now, what now, sense are you harmed? But you tell me why not. Yeah, but in what sense are you harmed? That's in the what, first question. In what sense are you harmed? Because you don't like it. And 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 in what sense are you harmed by someone praying playing the stereo at two in the morning? In what sense are you well, harmed by someone someone right, right, insulting you on a placard and leaving it outside your house? None of those things harm you in any kind of physical sense, mm-hmm. but they all impose a, a, a cognitive harm, which is ultimately. So what I'm saying is, can you come up with a definition of harm which excludes the praying but does include? You know, on one end, we've got obviously GBH, which requires so, blood to come out. And on the other end, we've got, you know, um, yeah. it's insulting someone. Uh, Chris. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple of perspectives. I mean, um, one is you look at sort of legal definitions. So I think the, the um, Scottish uh, Adults uh, Support and Protection Act um, categorises uh, sort of six groups of, of harm. And it, do, it doesn't. You know, um, as all legal definitions, it can't completely, uh, you know, ring fence these things. But it talks about financial, physical, psychological, sexual uh, uh, harm coming from neglect and then self-harm and uh, self-neglect. So at least, you know, I think when most people talk about harm, they they think instantly in terms of, of physical physical harm but as nick was was talking about you know and as is legally defined there are obviously other types of harm we mentioned uh you know spiritual harm um previously i think there is um there is an element of this which is about the material impact and you know john stuart mill's harm principle you know the only actions that that um can be prevented are the ones that cause harm and and you know when he talks about harm he's talking about those that injure the rights of someone else and uh, you know and then he goes on to some more specific definitions about things to do with um you know a damage against your your interests and yeah, it's so all on. very but circular it, it is totally all very circular yeah. now i love john stuart <laughs> Mill, and i think the harm principle is great but it does not answer any no, of those questions. No, it doesn't. Questions. Okay, but Chris, the, carry on. Um, so, so I think the, the, my key sort of uh, feeling on this is that if somebody is 
praying for me and I don't know about it, mm. then I'm unaware at that point of, of the harm. If they then come and tell me they've prayed for me, at that point, uh, that that harm is inflicted a, upon me. You know, <laughs> if I'm... Un, no, now, th- there's a similar argument here to the whole uh, Edward Snowden, WikiLeaks, um, you know, NSA, GCHQ issue, uh, which is that... While people were unaware of the fact that these government agencies were rifling through their their emails, nobody perceived the nobody perceived the harm. Right? It was only when Edward Snowden came forward and said, "Do you realise this is what's going on?" that there was outcry and people wanted something doing about that harm, even though actually they in no way were they materially impacted by the fact that. This happened to be going through some big radar dish and never actually read by a person uh, at any point. And so there's something about awareness of the harm that makes the harm material in some way. So so praying in a corner for me without telling me, fine, from my perspective. Coming and telling me in my face, I've I've been praying for you because you're evil and I think you need saving. (laughs) At that point, I'm like, hang on a minute. Get out of my face. Peter? Yeah, I think, yeah, to pick up on Chris's point about the, it becomes manifest when you know about it. There are other interesting, I saw the same definition of harms from the Scottish legislation. The, the, The harm of, I find particularly interesting, the harm of neglect. So that's the harm of you're causing somebody harm by not doing something for them, and the harm of restricting a freedom is another one that's often cited. So, for example, uh, locking someone in their house and not you know or restricting their freedom of speech is a form of harm or is perceived as a, harming them in some way. But where, where does it would it also still be harmful if I found someone who was completely sedentary and never left the house and locked them in their house? Would I still be harming them? I've restricted their free. I've taken their freedom away, but they never used it anyway. Yeah, well, that's a bit like uh, you know, Chris was saying, if there's no material cost to someone, is it is it harm? And I think there you've got an issue of well, you know, like squatters living in someone's house, which they yeah. you know, which they don't yeah. Uh, use. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it is definitely. I wouldn't like you to lock me in my house, even if I wasn't going out that day. Because yeah, I, I think the option. freedom, yeah, exactly. The option itself has but value to me. If, but what about if you didn't know that he had done that? Well, I mean, but this this is not, I don't think this is a terribly relevant consideration, actually. It seems like it ought to be. I think it's something else, which I'll say in a sec. But there are lots of things where, you know, you even if you don't find out about it, it's still harmful. You know, it's still considered to be, you know, there's lots of legal things um you know well i mean i guess like using someone's property when they're not when they're not there you know it's illegal to go inside someone's house and watch telly all day and then leave just before they get home you can't do that um and but even you if know, you hadn't used their electricity and watched their telly even if you just walked in and walked out again it's still it's still but it's also possible you it's possible to libel someone without their knowledge i mean it's still a crime to do that right so uh, or a tort, rather. So you know, it's it's you, you. The fact that someone knows about it is not a kind of clincher. However, I think the clincher in this case is about enforceability and measurability. You know, you've got to be able to prove that. So for one thing, you'll be able to prove that they prayed. Now, I don't know how you do that. I don't even. I you know, they would have to fess up, I suppose. But you, we do have a similar issue at the moment with. Um, with, uh, uh, with, with, you know, sort of hate with laws about harassment and hate speech, because there's a number of things you've got to, you've got to prove um, 
that you, you know a, num a number of things in order to show that uh, uh, you've been harassed and you, and they include you know it's got to be based on a characteristic you have so it's got to be a protected characteristic which might be your sexuality your gender it's got to be offensive it's got to be unwelcome and it's got to be uh, pervasive enough to sort of affect your job effectively um, and uh, how do you prove whether something's offensive I mean other than someone saying that they find it offensive how do you prove that something was unwelcome? You have to just claim it was unwelcome. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I I think even though, you know, I, th I think it's the enforceability which would, which would you know, stop a prayer ban. It's just impossible to know whether someone's pray prayed or not. Um, but I don't think it's, it's not a million miles away from, you know, being able to prove that a comment was unwelcome. Yeah. You know, I mean, if someone claims it was, then is that enough? You know, I, I want to hear more from Peter. Um, going going back to the idea of suing Christians for for praying for me, yeah, um, uh, He's I, I, I'd like I'd like to just explore harm slightly more general, generally. Yeah. Um, so harm is often talked. You, you can boil it down to some sort of physical harm, which actually can be translated in sort of financial harm. So all yeah. harm you can probably quantify in some way. Um, uh, so it seems reasonable if I cause you harm, Fraser, that you, you are financially compensated. So if I cause you to lose an arm, which means that you're less able to do your job, you have less full, full life, etc., there's some way I, I could financially recompense you for it. But that's that sort of that sort of uh, suing is just move, moving money around, right? Mm. So it's sort of moving money that I've got to to value that I have to you. I wonder if there's like a sort of more meta level of harm that's caused by... Because there's no there's no net value increase in the whole system by moving the money around. Is there harm that's caused uh, because that because sort of, there's overheads in moving that money around? There's legal costs, etc. Yeah, but it's the whole of... the whole basis of uh, of uh, you know Anglo-Saxon law, Salic law was you know the idea of vergeld and that you know if you uh, if you killed somebody and they were of low social status, you might have had to cough up a few groats. But if you know they were they were a, a sort of thane, then it would have it would have cost you you know a, a Sutton Hoo bracelet or something. So so yeah, the the, the idea that um, that harm is financially redistributed and that you have a system that contains you know overheads associated with judging that is is uh yeah. certainly a yeah, and precedent in the, i mean in, in economics there's a concept of a deadweight loss which is effectively a loss that occurs because a transaction didn't occur when it could have done um which is which is mm. kind of pretty similar so in other words it's a misallocation of resources and there's a loss there uh i mean i think in this case you know there could be um a net positive if christians gain more from praying for me than i lose by being prayed for well, fine. I'm happy to accept yeah. subscriptions. I've actually got some, being a prayer victim. I've Peter? actually got some some data on that. So there's a paper by a T. T. Brown. I think he's of Berkeley University. Uh, he's done a few uh, he's done a number of papers over the years, but most recent one I could find suggests that uh, based on a sort of well-being uh, valuation method that they've developed, that um, the U. S. the U. S. of so the U. S. average. For, pray, for Christians praying is eight sessions a week seems quite a lot to me okay um, for which the average American gains an equivalent of 30 of $53,000 a year in terms of well-being personal well-being so what that means is what that means is if you're uh, 
an average, uh, sorry, a median earner in the US, you can double your pay by, by praying. praying eight times a week. Sorry, I don't understand. They found that people who pray eight times a week have that much more salary. No, not that much more salary. No, much, that much more perceived that if they If they wanted life. to feel that good, they'd have had to go to, you know, spas Got and, you, you know, you. gone on beaches. Or equivalently, they would be willing to pay that amount uh, to be able to continue praying. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Um, okay. and, uh, and interestingly, one, one, the marginal gain of one additional prayer session a week, so going from eight to nine, is equivalent to 6,500. So you can give yourself a bonus on top of doubling your salary by praying an extra... extra so we should all be Sunday. praying. Well, exactly, yeah. Prayers, prayers pay, it seems. It, it, it pays to pray. Okay. Well, okay, so where, where do we go? We need to wrap up there. Um, well, I, I, well, I've got a bit more data just to round off. This was, this was related to the study that Nick cited. The, the amounts uh, were, were were calculated of how much people prayers prayers are worth. So, in the the, the study is U.S. centric. We should say that. Um, so the the uh, um, a prayer from a priest is worth seven dollars and seventeen cents. Right. So it's, it's not bad. Okay. I, I, I don't know how many they knock out in a day, but maybe a prayer takes five minutes. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. Pretty good earning for a priest, right? Um, uh, pray, prayers. Uh, from uh, uh, less sort of moderate Christians, rather okay. than rather than uh, or less exalted ones, not priests, and not part of the part of the uh, just your bog standard Christian, just your bog standard Christian. They're, they're worth four dollars and thirty six cents. Mm. So what I what I think there's a, there's an opportunity here for a, pr- a prayer market, yeah, along the lines of eBay that you can you can ask for prayers and fi- exchange finances for it. And uh, yeah. we can undo several hundred years of theological yeah. history. Yeah, float it to the Cistercians. Yeah. It's got real value in this in this world. Okay. Um, well, that was fascinating. I especially liked that bit at the end there about the quantification of it and the valuation. Um, all right, we'll stop there. Thank you, as always, for um, listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrewer. We've been here with Nick Hare, Peter Coghill, and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Amen, I think. Amen. Keep us in your prayers.